Today in news of the Disney World. Headline, The Dead Speak. Jason Chandler is alive and well in San Francisco. Here he is proclaiming that inventors from around the globe can come down and present their wonders at a new founding called Discovery Bay. There's a Nautilus submarine filled with exotic seafood freshly harpooned from the hatch. Then there's Professor Marvel and his dragon friend. Their curiosities really spark the imagination. Finally, in this hangar is the Hyperion Dirigible, and it's taking off now for an incredible adventure to the island at the top of the world. Oh no. Oh, the humanity! It's incredibly boring. Who could have seen this coming? Welcome, dreamers of all ages, to another episode of Unbuilt, an unrealized theme park podcast. With me here today, as always, is my co-host, Ryan Dorman. How are we doing this week? I'm doing fantastic. I'm ready to uh, discover uh, some stuff about Ooh. Unbuilt Disney attractions. I hope you see what I did there. Right? <laughs> <laughs> very clever, very clever. Uh, before that, uh, any discoveries this week in your regular life? Any discoveries this week in my regular life? Oh, yeah. well, you know, you said before the show, not too many tangents, but this week has been an absolute nightmare since coming back from Florida. Oh, boy. Because I, I got home from Florida. I quarantined for three days, and then my girlfriend got di- got COVID, oh. who I was quarantining with, and oh. then she went back to her house. And I've been tested twice since then, and I have yet to test positive for COVID. Good. Um, is she uh, is she doing okay? Or oh yeah, she has no symptoms. It's the weirdest thing. It is well, incredibly weird. Yeah, I mean, if she's vaccinated, boosted, she'll she might wind up asymptomatic. Yeah, that's so. She's vaccinated and boosted, and yeah. I thought I understood COVID, and then all of the cases came out. I know the last <laughs> thing you want to hear about at the beginning of a podcast is COVID, but yeah. my parents are currently <laughs> quarantined because they know somebody who had COVID. They don't well, have any symptoms so far. So many people have gotten it. It's like one in like three hundred people now. The cases are so bad, mm-hmm. and I thought I knew how it worked, and I spent basically 10 days in close contact with someone who tested positive <laughs> and i'm fine so i give up like ask my parents like are you guys going to get tested and they're like well, no like the only way to get tested right now is honest to god going to like one of the casinos that are hosting oh, like the, the testing things and they're like four hour long lines in your car and that right. sounds like pure death at that point, just wait the 10 days out in your house if you exactly can. Exactly, right. And <laughs> if it. you're not showing any symptoms, I mean, there's nothing to be worried about so far. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's how me, my week's been. Yeah. <laughs> for me, I've had a quite a crazy week. I got a new kitten. Aw. And she's adorable, but man, my other cat just 
does not like her. I saw the picture you posted on, on Twitter of the mm-hmm. interaction between the cat and the cats. <laughs> excuse me. Yeah. It just seems like, uh, uh, the discovery of something new and more attention seeking is, is you just gonna keep putting that really discovery in there. <laughs> <laughs> what am I supposed to do? <laughs> I can't help myself. He's, he's just anxious to go get into that <laughs> topic, that juicy topic, because man, this is, this is a big one today, but yeah, uh, I got a new kitten, uh, Little Luz, and she is so adorable. I do love her. It is funny, like, when you get a new kitten, uh, don't expect much sleep. I mean, I, I don't think I'm ever going to have a kid, but, uh, you know, it's almost <laughs> the same thing. Except where a baby a baby will cry all night. It's the, cat, the kitten, it'll just uh, keep running muck in your bedroom, knocking things off the shelves. <laughs> It's just a little, a little kid. Mm-hmm. It's the growing pains. Eventually, it'll uh, it'll she'll just cool down. Yeah, <laughs> I think uh, that does it enough because I'm sure we are going to spend a lot of time. Are you ready to jump into Discovery Bay? I'm excited. Okay, let's go. Here we are for our main topic, Discovery Bay, as we keep saying, Tony Baxter's biggest and most ambitious unbuilt project. And I asked you this last week, and I'm going to ask you again, you you don't have any much idea about this because this is one of the most famous ones. I think so. A lot of my knowledge of Discovery Bay comes, and we'll talk about it later, but from what was inspired by Discovery Bay, mm-hmm. uh, just like knowledges of of spoilers, right? Paris and, and Tokyo. Yeah. But as a, as an original project, it's fascinating to see, at least off the bat, right? You mentioned Tony Baxter. How much of like a lot of his projects are inspired by trying to get these old niche, almost Disney things out into the public mm-hmm. in really interesting ways. But no, this is this is one of my first introductions to the very nitty gritty, explicit details of a lot of the blueprints. Well, what is interesting about the way Tony Baxter? thinks is that uh, when he was a kid he you know he went to disneyland a lot and always thought about possibilities and how to utilize space and that's a lot of what this is uh this is uh one of the biggest things now we we talk about frontierland expansion and this is definitely a frontierland expansion but this actually also goes in the space that became toontown and if you ever listen to interviews with Tony, he's always sitting there thinking about how could we better utilize space and the space that we're not using. And it's the same thing that goes for like Knott's Berry Farm. He says he, he goes around with Imagineers all the time and they always discuss how could we better utilize this space? How What can we do with this space? This, this is a large part of that. And that's why it's such a massive topic because they were not only thinking big, but they wanted to utilize every single last acre that they had to their disposal. Uh, so let's go into what was it? 
When we last left off, uh, we discussed Dumbo's Circus Land, a themed expansion to Fantasyland. An attraction, however, was failed to be mentioned. Near one of the tents was a sign for Professor Marvel's balloon rides. For an A ticket, you could take a flight above Circus Land in a hot air balloon and land in 1800s San Francisco on a wharf unlike which you've ever seen. This is Discovery Bay. The story begins when new Imagineer Tony Baxter took a hard look at Disneyland in the early 70s. Frustrated by the wealth of unused space in the park, he sought to fill in the holes. Tony envisioned turning New Orleans Square into Dixieland and adding a Song of the South attraction between Haunted Mansion and Bear Country. Kind of sounds familiar. After that, the mine train through Nature's Wonderland would close and half the ride's area would become a runaway mine train attraction, with Discovery Bay and Circus Land taking up the rest of the space. The blank spots on Disneyland's canvas would essentially be filled in. Tony came up with Big Thunder Mountain as an entry point for Discovery Bay story. Uh, this is from Disney News, and here is the story for Discovery Bay. The highly imaginative tale includes the legend of young inventor named Jason Chandler, who lived in a town called International Village during the peak gold rush years in Big Thunder region circa 1849. According to the Chronicles, the young inventor devised a drilling machine with the capability of boring into the very heart of Big Thunder Mountain. There, the veins of gold ran so deep, it was rumored they could produce a mother load that would bring a man enough wealth to last a hundred lifetimes and more. But a cave-in occurred on Big Thunder, burying 26 miners alive. They would have drawn their last breath then and there, have it not been for the inventor and his laughable drilling machine. He burrowed deep down into the earth's core, rescuing miners from certain death. It should have been a moment of joy and celebration, but as the men scrambled to the arms of safety, a massive earthquake shook the ground and a cavernous maw opened up, swallowing the inventor and his machine whole. The miners, as well as the citizens of the village, struggled day and night against the mountain, trying to dig the young man from his living tomb, but they never saw him or another nugget of gold again. Big Thunder had taken its vengeance not only on the miners, but on their wealth as well. The mountain had gone bust, and it's only a matter of time before only ghosts reside there. So that's sort of the tale of Big Thunder Mountain and why the runaway mine train is the runaway mine train. However, Jason secretly survived and secured the gold. Knowing that such wealth could be abused, he decided to use it for good. He headed north to San Francisco and settled upon a secret bay where he promised any inventor that he had the funds to grant their research and inventions. Ned Land asked him to dig up the Nautilus. Sir Anthony Ross requests a home for the Hyperion. Professor Marvel and his curious talking dragon set up shop and dozens more inventors as the bay becomes littered with Victorian era eccentric buildings such as a crystallized structure in the center. So right now in the show notes, you can see that beautiful concept art of Discovery Bay. And this is definitely like concept art at its fullest because, you know, this is even more majestic than Galaxy's Edge. Right. It's interesting. I mean, I think I've said this every time that this design has come back up in conversation, but that crystal 
building. I don't know what drew Tony Baxter to wanting to build a giant crystal building. But of course, this comes up later in discussions of Epcot mm-hmm. and uh, um, various stuff. The fascinating thing when you sit back and think about that Big Thunder Mountain Railroad background is that it's interesting that Tony Black, uh, Tony Baxter seems to have a pretty strong dedication to creating this big cohesive story between behind all of the attractions. Obviously with Song of the South, not necessarily in Splash Mountain, but it's fascinating that he's really setting this route that Discovery Bay is going to be a more than just a place to visit old Disney properties, uh, but it's going to connect cohesively into basically all of Frontierland. Right. It basically makes a story for this entire slab of the park. Right. Which which is interesting because they, they do that within Galaxy's Edge and even, you know, to a lesser extent like Toontown, but you, you really never see it like connect multiple lands kind of like that. Yeah, I think I don't I don't know if there is besides perhaps Paris, of course, right? Mm-hmm. I don't necessarily know if there's something there is a as cohesive like a narrative in the modern Disney parks. Um, Probably Tokyo, Disney Sea. Well, right, anything that was inspired by Discovery Bay mm-hmm. seems to be along that same vein. But but aside from that, it doesn't seem like things necessarily connect as deeply within the parks as they would have here. Right. So starting from Big Thunder Mountain, guests would see a bridge over an inlet that connects to Rivers of America. To the left would be the sailing ship Columbia, permanently moored for exploration, as well as a lighthouse signaling the entrance to the land. Just beyond is a small outcropping of buildings with a passage between. Chinatown. On the left side was a merchant shop, an exotic cuisine restaurant, and on the right was the famous fireworks factory, festooned with angular piping on the roof that would emit sparks. Guests stepped up and were armed with fireworks shooters. As they aim and shot, the idea was to make things literally explode. Another proposal suggested an actual full dark ride for the space where guests would ride through the factory and again, you know, be armed with those fireworks shooters. Continuing forward, another bridge and break in the land would occur. In the canal would be the Nautilus submarine poking out of a slightly run-down shipbuilding. Guests could enter the building and descend into a submarine for a lovely dinner under the sea. Of course, instead of actually entering the sub, the building would be the stand-in. A simulator ride titled Captain Nemo's Adventure in Mini Subs was also proposed. To our right, we would rock under the train trestles and deeper into the land. It is here where things get stranger, even stranger. Nearby is the gateway to Dumbo's Circus Land, so it makes sense that we find ourselves upon Professor Marvel's Gallery. Guests would enter a small, cramped pop-up tent, only to find themselves in a large circus tent. From there, they would be treated to an animatronic puppet show in the round, featuring the wizard-like Professor Marvel and his dragon assistant, as they recount magical journeys and show strange and unusual things that would delight the audience. Another idea was the reverse of a carousel of progress, where this audience would sit as the stage revolves, and once again, you see in that concept are a very two very similar looking characters to something we would see later on 
the ideas just seem to keep coming back. All of these unbuilt <laughs> ideas just are repurposed for something later. No idea ever dies in Imagineering. An actual carousel theater would be next up as we move forward in Discovery Bay. The time machine had guests seated in a windowed room. The carousel rotated and through Pepper's ghost effects we would see events play out at double time as we went into the future. Our next stop was the H.G. Wells themed Lost River Rapids, also referred to the Voyage Through Time, which would repurpose the primeval world animatronics from the train and set them along an outdoor indoor river journey as we time travel down a stream into the unknown and straight into dinosaurs once thought to be extinct. To the left of Lost River Rapids was the Spark Gap Coaster, a powered coaster that utilized magnetic technology for launching. It was truly a first of its kind as we would buzz past the futuristic metallic gold-plated machines that powered it. And again, you could see that concept art right there with those gigantic towers. Mm. We would also explore that large crystalline structure, and this is per Disney historian Jim Corcus, towering over the inland area, would be a great prismatic glass tower, housing a botanical garden all set into the base of a distant, craggy mountain peak. The buildings would look like a lavishly decorated Victorian high society port with elaborate dance hall exteriors, plush chase lounges, crystal chandeliers, and more that all disguise actual merchandise locations selling artesian crafts, scientific supplies, and more. Getting a science kit in the middle of Disneyland. (laughs) But it is funny that it would just be essentially a gift shop. Guests would wander back through a marketplace filled with shops, restaurants, and exciting inventions to look into window displays and more. Per a W.E.D. memo, returning now to the streets of Discovery Bay, the facades might include elaborate gaming halls with crystal chandeliers, again, crystal chandeliers comes up again, and plush interiors, while the shop windows could reflect the runaway inflation of the golden economy like eggs $18 a dozen and room and board $100 a day now one of those is true <laughs> true to current day the other one surprisingly not Disney uh, uh, $100 a day room and board at Disney I think you have <laughs> far too nice far too nice and it's supposed to be a parody on today's economic situation they're always ahead of the curve somehow Actual shops might include the model works featuring Disney-oriented scale reproductions and a scientific supplies office. Eventually, we would happen upon the land's signature attraction, the island at the top of the world. <laughs> so this would be based on the 1974 film of the same name and just to tease both me and you have watched this i and- watched just a stretch and <laughs> suffered through suffered. Maybe. <laughs> i, I was is- looking at the tv screen i don't know if i processed anything 
watching the movie, but I was looking at the screen and there were images coming into my brain. Uh, hopefully sounds too. It wasn't a silent <laughs> film. <laughs> Might as well have been. But that that is a tease. We'll eventually talk about it. Out of a hangar would be Harper Goff's impressive Hyperion dirigible waiting for her passengers. We'd enter from the side as Professor Iverson gave us instructions about our journey to locate Anthony Ross's son, Donald, who was lost on a mystical island in the Arctic Circle. We are to board the Hyperion to make the trek. And if you could see there in the show notes, you could see that giant hangar with the Hyperion blimp in there. Now, you might have not liked the movie, but you gotta admit that blimp is an, an impressive visual. In the movie or in the in Discovery Bay? Just in general. In Discovery Bay, it's pretty fascinating. It's a mm-hmm. it's a pretty it's very clearly they were looking to build something very big, technologically advanced, and mm-hmm. the main attraction, the draw to your eye. Uh, right. Part. What's fascinating in the concept art that you're talking about in the show notes with Hyperion is that the Nautilus is right next to it. It seems like you know, obviously it's concept art, but the entire area seems super packed into keeping all of the details nice and together and specifically cohesive. So it's like it's like it's a land, but it's also a living land with with many things around it. Mm-hmm. I would have to argue that the blimp in the island at the top of the world, that's probably the most successful thing about it, because I do think it is a very striking visual. It's a very it's a great design. It's a great looking design. And mm-hmm. it would have definitely helped to the land. So much so that we would, of course, see that blimp later on in a Disney park. Uh, so in this attraction, guests would board in enclosed cabins with windows to peer out of. Traveling on a suspended track, we would take off and now direct from Wed in 1976. Here is a description of the attraction. Amid the sounds of cold engines and obviously disturbed chickens, the balloon ascends into a blazing sunset. As the glow fades, a surrealistic lighting effect becomes prominent. The captain begins to recount numerous legends regarding the Aurora Borealis, but is interrupted by heavy air turbulence. The first mate's report indicates that the safest air zone to be right at surface level. Far below, the outline of ice formations can be seen floating on the dark waters as the vast ship tips forward and begins to descend. Gradually, the ice float expands in size until the shadow of the airship can be seen against the snowbanks, pursuing some apparently frightened reindeer. The balloon continues downward until it's moving amongst the great fields of ice. It is here eye-to-eye contact is made with the animals of this frozen world. Man, we got to the Arctic really quick. A great field of Arctic hares, a polar bear family, seals, walrus, and a snow leopard regard our presence with varying degrees of suspicion. All the while, a never-ending procession of whales continues forward towards a great wall of ice. Cut into this wall is a narrow gorge through which the whales continue to pass. The storms have hampered our planned flight above the ice wall. Therefore, progress will have to continue somewhat cautiously through this narrow channel. The ship is engulfed by the walls of ice. But before long, the gorge opens into its large crystal labyrinth. Tinkling sounds accompany shattering ice crystals. The captain gives the order to shut down engines. Even the slightest vibration may set nature in motion. Deep within the grotto lies the seaward gate of the lost civilization of Astrogard. 
dominating the entrance is a temple of ice, apparently conceived to pay homage to the great sea beasts, providers of both food and material for these ancients. Huge icicle-draped whale bones frame this eerie scene. The Temple of the Whales, according to Captain Burrow, as it served the seaward gate to the island at the top of the world. How strange. It is now only a frozen testimonial to nature's... Good lord! The captain is interrupted by an unprovoked act of whales leaping out from the waters below. How the hell are they going to pull this off? Start up the engines. Pull her up. The aircraft pulls away just in time, for the commotion has started the delicate ice crystals to shatter. Directly ahead lie the ruins of an ancient city of Astragar. Here, amid volcanic tempered pools, a great people once thrived. But as the warmth failed, the surrounding ice took a firm grip on the city. The great people of Astrogard fled southward, and with them came tales of fantastic beasts that lived on this land. Captain Bro, who charted this expedition, claims to have seen several of these creatures, but was not able to verify his sightings. To this day, only these stone images remain, as, Captain, the thermal gauge indicates an unusual temperate zone directly ahead. The captain is at a loss for words, but the report is confirmed as an Hyperion glides over a melted ice brink into a lush Eden-like garden, basking in the warmth of a huge volcanically fed altar stone, the great temple of Astrogard, for centuries buried and protected by this mantle of ice. The flaring of the temple altars has once again allowed the ground to break free from the, uh, to the Arctic skies. In the temple garden, the Hyperion discovers living creatures rivaling the most exotic of man's fantasies. It is not long before the temperatures on board the Hyperion began to rise with, and this comes the warning, that not too long of a stay could cause the the airship to rise out of control and become lost above the churning storms. The captain ignores the warnings and in the interest of science proceeds deeper into the temple ruins. He is fascinated with the possibility of capturing one of these creatures. The passengers get their first glimpse of the temple interior, huge stone deities, and the flaming altars. The temperatures continue to rise. Basking in, in the warmth are the incredible array of life forms, even more exotic in the previous garden. Suddenly, the Hyperion lurches upwards and into a spiral. Keep her down! Keep her down! She won't come down, sir! She's rising fast! Cold air rushes into the ship as it is buffeted to and fro, finally disappearing into the clouds. The passengers are cautioned to remain seated, and the airship enters the driving storm. This begins a visual and physical sequence of increased speed and buffeting activity, climaxing the eye of the vast electrical storm. As the turbulent cloud and wind assault begins to fade, the captain regains control of the airship and it's not long before the familiar landmarks of Discovery Bay can be seen silhouetted in the moonlight. The passengers disembark amid the confusion of an airport arrival. They pass by a news photographer who's patiently trying to pose the captain and his newly acquired friend, a very strange mascot. The wait, 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 hold on. So hold, hold on a second. A couple questions. The very yeah. strange mascot. Is that a reference to the movie, right? Isn't that what they say mm-hmm. at some point? Okay. So would, it seems like it would have been like, well, I guess you're going to talk about it in a little bit, but it seems like it'd be a bit like confrontation because it doesn't seem like it's a simulator. It seems like it's more of a, an actual the, physical so From what building. it seems like, it's 
it was debated on and off whether or not this would be a giant dark ride or a simulator ride. Seems like they wanted this to be a dark ride. Right. Um, but I'm going to guess that at one point, Disney looked at how much this would cost. And they were like, oh, my God. And, and then they were like, can you do like something else with this? Yeah. It seems like the closest thing that we've ever seen analogous to this is the pre-show for uh, uh, Rise of the Resistance, where you'd have like everyone standing inside of a yeah. ship, especially if this is going to be. Well, I'd have to imagine standing they would it. have this be seated. It, think it so? sounds like like you were describing confrontation. I think that's a great way to put it, or like something like ET Adventure, right? Where you're kind yeah. of seated and along that suspended track. Yeah, that because I couldn't imagine it would be. It seems like it'd be big groups, like a moving mm. theater kind of thing. Right. It wouldn't be yeah. uh, so confrontation. I can imagine it looking like that. Second and last. And I'll let you go on. But I thought Captain Captain Brio would not have stopped for science. If I learned anything from that yeah. movie, he I wanted to get the hell out of there. Well, that was the thing. It was, <laughs> it was always like Iverson and Anthony Ross who kept going. It's like, well, let's keep going. And, and Brio would just be like, ah, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm getting the hell out of here. Yeah, like I don't want to be here and die in my nice new ship mm-hmm. that's going to get me famous. He would right. not have kept going. This is mm-hmm. unrealistic. I, I watched that movie. What, what do you have said that they imagined? engineers probably paid enough attention to the movie as we did too much oh yeah <laughs> they, they, they might have paid too much attention there's too many references here yeah i mean the, i guess they have to the other guys were either too cheap too expensive or dead or something like that so <laughs> that's true okay so this ride would be in a fairly massive show building and arguably be the star attraction although discovery bay would make up 30 percent of disneyland space at around 20 acres in size. In comparison, Galaxy's Edge is 14 acres. Baxter was hoping that Walt Disney Presents would show a mini-series leading up to the land's opening called the Discovery Bay Chronicles, which would detail the backstory of Jason Chandler. When it's finally revealed that Jason has settled on Discovery Bay, viewers would discover they can visit for themselves in Anaheim. The interest even got to the point where the mouse thought of making it a separate gated entry. Visitors would take a subway that ran under Disneyland to the back where they would enter the new theme park. And just to point out, that's most likely why there are attractions upon attractions upon attractions when talking about this because my guess is when they were considering it they were like okay um what else could we put in here and they just kept throwing things out uh so that Mm -hmm. that that is my guess because you know you have to pad it right yeah i think because if you're especially you're gonna offer so when it says a separate gated entry is that saying that that would be a additional price for admission or it would be just like another entrance to the park another theme park right so it's yeah as you put more things in there as you expand it into Mm a marketplace plus the attractions plus the walkthroughs plus the restaurants yeah it seems like at that point you would probably charge to get in maybe even have like a hotel that connects to it for three thousand a night right The the immersive Discovery Bay Hotel. <laughs> that, that's right. You get to go. You have to get to watch Island at the top of the world over and over again. You, you have to sit there and watch Captain Brio perform. No, 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 not Captain Brio. Attend, you, too close you attend, to the source material. You, that wouldn't you, be in you there. attend. Uh, <laughs> what you attend? Little seminars with uh, Captain <laughs> Iverson talking in his monotone, and that's then right. uh, you can get up close with uh, Freya 
who's uh oh, everybody's geez. sweating out for you know yeah it was that movie's so weird we'll talk yeah we'll talk about that <laughs> okay uh why was it not built so the reason why all this never happened Disney passed on the project when looking over the poor box office receipts of Island at the Top of the World and cost overruns from Space Mountain and Big Thunder already in development. In addition, Epcot Center was on the horizon, which seemed like it would need a gigantic cash flow. The Discovery Bay project failed to catch much interest due to these issues, but Baxter and Imagineering refused to give up on these ideas. Professor Marvel and his dragon wound up being pitched last second to Kodak by Tony Baxter. Literally, that is the story. Kodak was like, I don't know about this. And he, and Tony Baxter just like grabbed this model he had from Discovery Bay, showed it to them. And they were like, ooh. Mm. So Kodak fell in love with the Green Dragon, but requested he would be purple as to not remind customers of their rival Fujifilm. The end result was Journey into Imagination. The good version. <laughs> the Jules Verne and Victorian sensibilities wound up in Discoveryland, which was Disneyland Paris's version of Tomorrowland. The Hyperion hangar was brought back, but this time as a restaurant. And you can see it right now. You could see the uh, giant hangar with the Hyperion ship, which really people don't know what it is. It just looks cool. The Nautilus, ironically, was not a restaurant, but instead a walkthrough attraction using the many of the same ideas as those in Discovery Bay. At Pleasure Island, the idea of the fireworks factory was also revived to become a restaurant for the short while. And you can see a photo of that restaurant. You know, it looks pretty cool. Like everything's kind of exploded around. Was this in, so this was in Pleasure Island in uh, Disney World, yes? Yes. Interesting. I've never heard of this before. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it looks yeah, like it didn't was, last how, very long. What was it replaced with? Do you know? Uh, it was a dance, I believe it was a dance club. Yeah, because it, it looks like, um, like really cheap. Like the, the the tablecloths there look like they were just the extras from Mama Melrose. I think, I it's, think just, it is just of, the time. There's just the time. There's you know, boxes lady. of Bud Light just in the middle of the restaurant in that picture. Oh, you know why? Because it's probably like a <laughs> photo before it was open. Right. Yeah. yeah there, some guy didn't move all the beer out mm -hmm. of the picture. Yeah. Okay. At Tokyo Disney Sea, both Mysterious Island and Port Discovery had items inspired by the unbuilt land. Mysterious Island has a sunken Nautilus, whereas Port Discovery has a namesake and theme also direct from Discovery Bay, where kooky steampunk inventions are in vogue. For the Society of Adventurers and Explorers, which is, of course, the overarching family of characters throughout the Disney parks, both Captain Brio from Island at the Top of the World and Jason Chandler were added as members. Jason Chandler can even be seen on the name of an attache on a stagecoach, leading to an expansion that eventually got built on the same land, Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. So finally, after a good half hour, <laughs> we come to the what if. What if Discovery Bay was built? Would it still be there, or was Star Wars always the fate? What are these incredible attractions? What would survive? What wouldn't? And would it be a separate entry? Go ahead. Say your piece. I think the more interesting question is, would people wait six hours in line for a green dragon popcorn bucket? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I've had that written down for like five minutes now. I've been <laughs> so, so Discovery Bay, 
yeah, as you go down and you go through the idea, it's this this idea of this massive expansion, and obviously we're balancing what would have been built and what wouldn't have. But the cool thing about talking about Tony Baxter projects, or even just a project specifically like Discovery Bay, is we've seen what Disneyland Paris looked like when it opened up. And we've seen what Tokyo Disney Sea looked like when it opened up. So there's reason to believe that a lot of the concept art would probably come to fruition in the opening, right? Because uh, uh, at the time and around the time, Disney wasn't necessarily averse to making these hyper detailed experiments uh, over the before 2000, right? Nowadays, it's unlikely. And before that, it's unlikely. But maybe this is the prime period. If Discovery Bay was built, though, I wonder if like all of the science fiction elements would just be perfect for like a Star Wars retheme, right? Because we saw mm. in um, Paris with a Space Mountain Mission 2, yeah. um, Disney just needs something to look like space and Star mm-hmm. Wars is on it. Yeah. <laughs> right? It's uh, So I think... Just apply uh, some paint there, here and there, and boom, you got Batu. You know, you have the, uh, can you turn a blimp attraction into a spaceship? Can you turn it into the Millennium Falcon? And can you turn the marketplace into a, uh, a an alien <laughs> oh, marketplace? I mean, like you know, Star Wars right now has fancy speeder bikes that look like oh, uh, no, no, motorcycles. That's not Star Wars. That's oh. not my Star Wars. My Star Wars has to be gray. <laughs> gray and ugly and boring. <laughs> Who's to say it won't have, like, crystallized structures george lucas would never do that george george lucas would never make american graffiti (laughs) never (laughs) he never put a 50s diner in one of the prequels (laughs) that's true i didn't even think of that yeah episode two is just enough of a justification for the silly colorful speeder bikes and Mm -hmm. book of boba fett all the people online are mad because i I, you know what's funny this is a complete sideline you told me not to but i I walked in my father was watching eternals I, I looked at the screen. It, I walked into the screen. It was gray. I was confused. I thought like the TV was broken. It was the most ugly movie I've ever seen. And it's this beautiful 4K TV with like HDR colors and it's gray. So I think I think what's interesting, going back to the topic, I think Discovery Bay, if it was there, if the question is, would Star Wars replace it? Yeah, probably. But like if Discovery Bay was built, I think... What might be interesting is I don't know if we would have seen the period in like the 90s where Disneyland could have been so underfunded. Like, let's say Mm -hmm. this whole thing was built. I think it would have been enough of a major attraction to bring people in that Disneyland might have blossomed into something like a, a nationwide vacation spot. And you don't think Michael Eisner would have come in and said, what the hell is all this? But I'd be all over it. I mean... I don't think Michael Eisner really did that. I guess I don't. I don't want to be an Eisner apologist. Well, well right? the thing is, is that Eisner came in in '84 and said, mm-hmm. "You're not attracting teens here, you know, and all all kids and teens right now and audiences, they want something familiar and franchises they care about, and you're not producing as a company franchises mm-hmm. that they care about." I'm going to reach out to Michael Jackson, Francis Ford Coppola, and George Lucas and see what they can do. That's true. So one thing that I have to like balance internally is did Disneyland Paris get opened because Eisner was okay with allowing the creative freedom or did Disneyland – what is – is it, it's called – I don't know. You, you just said it. Uh, Discovery Land. That's right. Yeah. yeah so Discovery Land – did Discovery Land get built because they just were okay with them exploring this – 
type of sci-fi or did it get built because Michael Eisner didn't understand French people and thought they all really liked old sci-fi books? Um, I think that they were trying – I think it was actually both. I mean they were trying to appeal to French sensibilities and also creating a uniquely creative vision. And that is why Discoveryland is supposed to represent a French-friendly future with celebrating Mm -hmm. Jules Verne and H.G. Wells. And that's why you'll find all the attractions that were in there are sort of designed that way. And it's supposed to appeal to a French audience whether or not it succeeds. I would argue that it does. Uh, I think French audiences really do like Mm-hmm. discovery land um frontier land though is actually pretty much like what this was supposed to be as well with mm-hmm. you know everything connecting together this is this is this this is in a way more like analogous to what the french in that case would be interested in right if your mm-hmm. argument is that discovery land succeeded because french sensibilities plus imagineering a lot of the same things are carried over here with the obvious uh exclusion no no even island at the top of the world is in france Right, but the, yeah. having a full attraction here in in well, what is Frontierland or Discovery Bay? I, I don't know if American sensibilities would have really pushed people to this, but it's hard to say because if Eisner came in and was saying you're not appealing to kids, Discovery Bay is like the least kid friendly thing really? Disneyland okay. would have had why, before. Why? Then. Why would you say that? Because it's too it's too smart. It's like too kids smart. aren't okay. I think kids aren't stupid, but kids, you know. There's there's very little fantasy. St- to me, like steampunk does not really appeal to kids. Okay, at least okay. in my let's, experience. Let's let's talk about the attractions then, right? Because I think that's the key that you're missing. Well, do you, you think you're paying, you're paying a little too much? Kids? You're paying a little too much attention to the details of the land mm-hmm. and not of what would appeal to kids in the land. We had the fireworks factory. How is that not the most kid centric attraction ever? You take perhaps, a kid, perhaps. Yeah, you you have, you have just explosions and stuff like you that, and then dinosaurs, fireworks shooter, and the kids are like, "Oh my god, this is the greatest thing I have ever done in my life." Well, then I have to accept the sad truth that Discovery <laughs> Bay was the perfect synthesis of kid friendly and smart attractions. You, and you, then take, we lost, you take like- a kid <laughs> and you put him on a raft, and they float right. past animatronic dinosaurs. Yeah, you're right. That is pretty neat. Okay, you have Professor Marvel's gallery with two kid-friendly animatronics. I'm supposed to be the cynical one, right? You can't, <laughs> I can't. I don't know what I'm supposed to. I don't know what you want me to do. <laughs> you're you're right. It's it's you know whatever the island at the top of the world you attraction have a coaster. would have been. You have, well, you have like a wild mouse coaster. I'm not going to let that one fly. Yeah. That coaster is really it's weak. a coaster. It's weak. It's okay, like it's all right, primeval all right. world. If, but the rest, you, you're right. You put yeah, a kid right. on Goofy Sky School. They love it. That's a kid. You put him on anything. <laughs> now, so that's no. You're you're right. And and the important it, it takes a lot of classic theme park attractions: the simple roller coaster, the interactive world, the walkthrough. I don't know the the immersive dining, the stage show with fantastical characters, mm-hmm. and it gives it a coat of paint that's incredibly unique and new. It, it it really feels like something in a fascinating way that could have been built in the 1960s when Walt was still hmm. around with Disneyland. It really synthesizes, I think, quite well design-wise into what Disneyland was at the time. Yeah, in the 19 well, the early 1970s. Mm-hmm. I I don't I I, I want to say like I have some problem with this because I don't want to keep it I don't want to keep it just boring but it's <laughs> it's just a really exciting idea. The only thing I could step back and say is that perhaps 
I don't necessarily agree with Tony Baxter's reverence for old Disney properties. Hmm. Like Song of the South is something that I, I I know he was just repurposing an old thing, right? But it seems like he does no, have some dedication. Remember to that it. this was in 1974. America Scenes just debuted. I don't think I he was thinking right. about it in that way. He was the, the theme always came first for Song of the South attraction. I think he was thinking, okay, what matches New Orleans Square, and also. Apparently, they knew that Knotts had a log flume, and they wanted to match that as well. Knotts has a mm-hmm. log flume. We want a log flume. This would be a good idea for a log flume. Let's match it to this property. And right. back in the seventies, of course, we weren't we weren't you know progressive enough to really think about Song of the South in that problematic way. Only the NAACP really had issue of it in the 70s. And it took a while for those progressive politics to catch up with us to admit that the portrayals in it weren't okay anymore. And Mm -hmm. uh, we had to kind of reckon with it. And that still wasn't enough to get the ride built. (laughs) Right. Well, it's it's interesting. What's interesting about it now that you, you bring it up is that it's almost hard to wrap my mind around the fact that what uh the island at the top of the world released when i think it's 73 74 74 so they were making this around when the the film came out the film bombed yeah because it's uh, awful yeah (laughs) it's boring as sin it's uh, it's horrible the, the film bombed but they were still making this and then eventually when it came time to finance it they went um you want to build an e-ticket based on that um, yeah, exactly. Well, exactly. And I wonder if, I mean, at the time, I guess you can't say that Tony Baxter has reverence for these lesser known Disney things because it was, it just came out, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's not really something like that. What's fascinating is that the movie bombed. And um, I wonder why, because it was a 90 minute movie with a 30 minute short in front of it. It opened in front of Winnie the Pooh and Tigger too. And it was, that's, that's funny. Cause the Disney tried to do the same thing with Coco and it also blew up in their face, but well, that Coco no, was a good movie. Well, then, to be fair, back then going to the films, the food movies was a little different. Boring. <laughs> I think that, so the one thing is that, uh, I don't, I don't know if you make an interesting enough attraction, like this seemingly was this, um, kind of very early predecessor to things like like Soren and like other kind of big th- if if it was to be a big visual attraction if you're if you were standing up or whether you're sitting down if the attraction was good enough you know I don't think it would have had the problem of the IP being outdated just because it would it would have been interesting mhm do you think this would have gotten obviously the question we always have to ask do you think this thing would have gotten built in its entirety or was it really way too ambitious even for the 1970s Oh absolutely way too ambitious uh, that's mm-hmm. that's the reason why they were like maybe this should be like an entire theme park there's so much here right. I think that a few things would have been cut out if I were to do it and oversee it I would honestly just kill the spark gap coaster Right. And the voyage through time, lost river rapids at the time machine, carousel theater, keep Professor Marvel Island at the top of the world, a fireworks factory, and the locations, and just keep it at that. Because, I mean, that weird thing is that Big Thunder Mountain was actually technically part of the land. It was just the bridge between 
Discovery Bay and Frontierland. What's fascinating is that in current Disneyland, Big Thunder Mountain is all that the land is. I mean, obviously you <laughs> have the, the river boats, but yeah, like the, it, it, uh, the golden and the golden horseshoe and the shooting gallery, and that's it. <laughs> well, you're right. You have a such a, a small gallery. land. It's it is such a small land, and it does feel like such an afterthought, especially without the. I think the um, the adventure through nature's wonderland, right, probably did a lot to keep Frontierland a bit more cohesive, and perhaps mm-hmm. some other planned expansions would have done that. The Discovery Bay seems like it would eat Frontierland alive, right? I don't know if there would be a Frontierland once this. Opened. Well, there would have been, yeah, definitely. It, would, it still would have just been Big Thunder. And whatever was left. Big Thunder, Golden Horseshoe, Shooting Gallery, and the Rivers of America would essentially become what Frontierland is. But when you're thinking about it, remember that before then, it was still the exact same thing, except you had the mine train through Nature's Wonderland instead. No, that's that's very true. I, I But could you imagine like going on Big Thunder Mountain Railroad with a giant glass building off in the distance it, it, it would dwarf everything else in the park it's just the entirety discovery bay in the distance there well basically That's the true. question is what ha- what would happen if they built tokyo disney sea into disneyland and i i don't have a good answer for that because mm-hmm. it would just make disneyland look like garbage <laughs> you know if something as like pristinely designed as this was built into the park i don't think a lot of disneyland would have held up you know, I think Tomorrowland would have come into serious question. That one is true. You would have like this progress-based Tomorrowland, and then the most impressive industrial steampunk design on the complete other side of the park. And you'd ask yourself, "What am I doing at Tomorrowland?" Well, Again, similar questions with Galaxy's Edge and Cars yeah. You know, I was just about yeah. to say that. I was about to say, well, you have the exact similar questions about Galaxy's Edge, and what what is funny though is that a lot of people would take that question and go, "Well, I mean, that's just Galaxy Edge, you know, it's not that good." <laughs> and it's like, how do you know that Discovery? You're you're, you're going to say Discovery Bay, a totally imaginary thing, would be better. Well, yeah, I mean, because, you know, Batuu is not, you know, Tatooine, and we don't yeah, I, have the same connection to it. I didn't so, even want to say that, but I was thinking the exact same thing. For some reason, my mind went right to the people who say that, like, Batuu isn't, it's not in the world, man. It's not, it's yeah. not, it's original. It's not, it's not Star Wars, man. <laughs> right, like, like, anyone gives a damn about 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea enough to... <laughs> But then, you know, yeah, it would have been cool. I used to be original and, you know, it would have been made faithful to the epic. I was like, oh, shut up. I mean, come on. You have to think about the balance right now because you do have some shiny new thing against old crap. And I'm sorry, Tomorrowland is hot garbage and it has been for a long time. You know so, what's funny? I think the, it's the same exact situation right now. The thing that you just said, the whole like original thing, it was it was like uh, the one episode of The Simpsons where Ralph, Lisa breaks up with Ralph on live TV. And you, like, see his heart collapse. Now you listen to me. I don't like you. I never liked you. And the only reason I gave you that stupid Valentine is because nobody else would. Watch this, Lise. You can actually pinpoint the second when his heart rips in half. And now. Because I was actually thinking that that this would have been better because it was original. (laughs) And I could feel in the mocking voice, like, my heart crumple. Like, oh, no. Not only am I predictable, but I'm wrong. I think that in, in the problem, uh, one of the problems with what I've been saying about so far, to be clear, is that the Oriental Land Company gave a lot of money to Tokyo Disney Sea, mm-hmm. right? So 
to say that like everything would have come to fruition here and it would have been just like Tokyo Disney Sea is probably not accurate. Right. Um, I mean, look at this land. It would probably have cost nearly as much as Epcot back in the right. 70s. I think that well, on one hand, and I know that we're going to I mean, we'll talk about the uh other gate of Disneyland at some point in our long schedule <laughs> in the future. Oh, it's coming. It's coming. I, well, right, cuz I think it the the question here is going to be should this have just been a second gate? The subway idea seems absolutely horrible. It just seems like silly. It seems like the same problem that I think you and I were discussing with Knott's Landing and that whole expansion is that if you build a bunch of separate ticketed experiences mm-hmm. from the same hub or in the same like general place, it becomes really confusing. You're right. No, yeah, no you're still- right. You're right. And I think the reason why they were thinking that it's because it was so ambitious mm-hmm. and it would have cost so much money that they were like, well, why don't we just make this its own theme park and experience right exactly is that if you there i don't know if there would be enough here to be its own theme park to be completely honest just in looking Mm -hmm. at it there's a lot of attractions but to me this feels like a big land yeah right like a very very densely populated land yeah Um, what's interesting is that i think it's too much for a land not enough for a theme park Exactly. And because it's so singular in its theme, it really doesn't feel like it's enough for a theme park. You know, because mm-hmm. the, the, the way that they seem to structure their theme parks, except for maybe Hollywood Studios pre Toy Story Land, is that right? You have like a central idea and then spokes off of that idea that are mm-hmm. similar but related. Discovery Bay would be pretty much one central idea mm-hmm. I unless perhaps this would have worked a bit better in the era of like e-tickets or ticketed stuff where you're not paying like a flat $150 to get in. You're paying your your rate to get in and then you purchase for attractions. What they might have done is do like a separate Discovery Bay ticket. Well, right. Right. Like imagine you wanted to just go shopping because it seems like the shopping Mm -hmm. district here was going to be pretty significant in in merchandise and stuff like Mm -hmm. that. I don't know. Again, first off, I don't know what you're going to do with science supplies at Disneyland. (laughs) What did you, okay. When you say that, did you know that the Centaurium sold science supplies and stuff like that at Epcot? Imagine going to Orlando international airport with your big box of Bunsen burners (laughs) and chemicals. You get the security. (laughs) According to the retro WDW podcast, they like sold, Nintendos and televisions up in the Centurion. I, I find that fascinating that at one point Disney had more than the same merchandise at every store. Like, <laughs> I, w- I went to the creation shop and when I couldn't find a single thing I hadn't seen before, I thought hey, of the Centurion. You, you did see something the you mannequins. hadn't seen before horrifying mannequins. You know, I, I walk, faces. It's, it's amazing because I walked in from the um, Mission Space entrance to the creation shop and I walk in and I see the new Epcot shirts and I said, This is neat. And then I, it was 10 minutes of walking around in the store seeing see, nothing, nothing else. else. <laughs> nothing else. So yeah, that's, that's just a an idea as to like how. You know, Disney has begun marketing their merchandise, except for Galaxy's mm-hmm. Edge, right? That's all unique. Yeah. Discovery Bay having all of this unique stuff, it's, I couldn't imagine it being a part of Disneyland because it seems mm-hmm. like such a, it's its own thing. Because Galaxy's Edge already kind of feels like it's a bit 
off like the beaten path of Disneyland when I was there. Mm-hmm. It really feels like you leave Disneyland and then enter the Star Wars park for a little bit. But that only has two rides, a restaurant, or two two rides, two restaurants, a couple stores, yeah. right? This is like four or five rides, mm-hmm. multiple restaurants, you know, right. big marketplace. Yeah, I think you you hit it right on the head though, very succinctly, is that it's too little for a land or too little for a park, but too big for an individual land. Yeah. Would you get to meet Sir Anthony Ross? <laughs> <laughs> if you were my son, of course. What does he say? He's like he's like, Can I bring Freya too? And he says, Ah, if you're you my are son, my of son. You will. Yeah, that's right. That's what he says. It's like there's uh, <laughs> thirst and okay, we can't get into we can't get into it. We will get into it, but not now, not today. Do you think okay. Galaxy's Edge would have? I think Star Wars would have closed it. I think so. I think Star Wars would have been. Oh, a pretty... I think we would have. We'd remember Discovery Bay. <laughs> we all miss Discovery Bay, man. When they shut down Discovery Bay, that was the end. That's when uh, I knew uh, Chapek wasn't a uh, wasn't good for the company. You know, it's his three pillars. Yeah, <laughs> it's Discovery Bay. I like Bob yeah. Iger stand stood on stage and says, "Unfortunately, we all have to make a few sacrifices." Uh, we will be saying goodbye to Discovery John, Bay. John Lasseter August. comes up, ass drunk, up on the stage and says, "Welcome to Pixar Bay." <laughs> <laughs> we are taking, we are taking uh, the island of the top of the world, and we're transforming to uh, join Russell, Doug, honestly, and Carl Fredrickson. Honest to God, I'm not gonna lie. That's that's scary. It's scary how accurate that feels. <laughs> Do you remember he was definitely drunk at that presentation? Right? Oh yeah, I mean he was, was for incredible. sure. Yeah, I mean that's been almost <laughs> confirmed that he was. He was absolutely drunk. I think yeah, it would become Pixar Bay. Pixar you could go to the Pixar go to the Bay. Finding Nemo restaurant inside the Nautilus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would have been uh, pretty horrifying. You just sit next to windows, and Dory would talk to you the entire time. Or Crush. You go to the good dinosaur. Good dinosaur. Yeah, the good dinosaur. Good dinosaur attraction and uh i guess they would just uh close the professor marvel and turn into toy story puppet show oh and that could be toy story mania you could put that there <laughs> move that in there uh wally little spark gap coaster i think <laughs> in the era of like ip i mean i think we something we've talked about for a long time is that in the modern Disney, right? Like a lot of people refute that and say Disney isn't fully IP because you have Pirates of the Caribbean, Haunted Mansion, you know, which they've uh, turned into IP. Well, right. That's exactly that's that's what I was going to say is that we've we've been discussing that for what honestly might be years. Is that if you can't make it like a profitable IP in the parks, then you change it into what could be profitable. Mm-hmm. Like the Maelstrom wasn't profitable, so Frozen can do that. But Song of the South or Splash Mountain as an idea for a while was a profitable idea in and of its own without needing song of the south um right. history caught up to that the so it's it's the question here would be is that discovery bay as dynamic as it is these i don't know if these ideas would be enough to really push a, a marketable mm-hmm. property right especially nowadays and I, I do fear that like you know maybe in japan where consumers aren't stupid like in america People would have been they're they're just fine with Disney City, yeah. but in America, I wonder, you know, would would people really begin to gravitate? Be- because it's funny, Tony Baxter managed to take Song of the South, a property that was basically in my and in, in my 
reading and experience all but necessarily forgotten after the multiple re-releases in theaters and makes splash mountain a household name you know d- does mm-hmm. would this have had the same power on the island at the top of the world well that's a great question because a lot of you have to actually compare this to epcot Right. And besides Island at the Top of the World, which, yes, it's based on a movie that people don't really care about. I don't think people know what it know is. Know about. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's, yeah. it's on Disney Plus, but I, I, so I actually. Sammy the Way Out Seal. Well, that's the thing. Like, well, half even, of Sammy the Way Out Seal. Even when I was doing the research, I thought to myself, is Island at the Top of the World on Disney Plus? I had to look <laughs> it up and I confirmed, yes, it is on Disney Plus. So even if it's on the one of, what is this? Disney Plus is like, what, the number two streaming service behind mm. Netflix now? And, and I don't even know what's on there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so well, a lot I of guess- it is the shovelware. You know, like, I okay, so mm-hmm. it's, it's a lot of it's when you watch, because you watch Island at the Top of the World, I'm looking at it right now, and I'm just clicking through a lot of this. And it's some classics, right? And then it's just a bunch of the TV. John Carter, that's funny. Um, <laughs> uh, the it's A lot of it's just the TV stuff that perhaps somebody like, like Tony Baxter or other young people around who are watching the, the Walt is the Disneyland and world of color mm-hmm. Walt Disney presents around that time might have known about a lot of the live action, just pump it out and release it. Um, that, that stuff really didn't live into the modern day. And I think if you asked like the average Disney, you know, parks goer who isn't necessarily as into the Disney history, but is like into modern Disney, they might know the Nautilus, if they have only been to the East Coast as a drink from Trader Sam's, and if they've been to the West Coast, it was the ride that used to be Finding Nemo. I think people are going to the, these these properties. Perhaps this land would have kept them more popular, but there's like Nautiluses all over the world. No one knows what the hell that is still. Right. Uh, <laughs> it is a very striking visual, though. Oh, it's beautiful. That's the thing is that that's the thing with a lot of these original attractions, especially you made a really fantastic point about Epcot is that when you let Imagineers design things and incorporate visuals created by the, you know, the classic Imagineers and stuff like that and the early Disney designers and of course, you know, classic science fiction, you get these, these strikingly beautiful uh, landscapes and visuals and buildings that you I don't think would get if you're translating something you already know onto mm-hmm. the into the real space. So I think I mean perhaps people would have just completely fallen for it. Uh, would it have lasted into modern Disney though? Eh, I don't know if the company would have been so jive with 20 acres going to Discovery Bay. Now here's the question: Do you think Discovery Bay would would have been like updated? Let's say even if it was updated without you know adding in properties. Let's move. Hmm. past the cynicism do you think it would have been an area that because if it became a separate gate it would have had to be expanded at some point. right so um, let's take a look here it would have been updated eh, probably 20 30 years after so we're talking well, like in could, the late they 90s well, they would have had to keep updating it like maybe not like a full like tomorrowland mm-hmm. style refurb mm-hmm. but there had to be new attractions new attractions yeah, maybe well, we would be depends we'll on if they had the expansion space. Well, they would probably close some. Like you would, it would or have to be. Them. Yeah, you're right. Because one, you know, we'd be talking about instead of Universe of Energy going away, we'd be talking about the the, the time River Rapids going away. Right? Yeah, exactly. It's like, oh, the remember machine. the Lost River Rapids? Man, right? Isn't that weird that there were two time travel attractions apparently right next to each other? 
What was the other one? The other one was a time, the time machine, which was a carousel theater attraction. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah. Yeah. I, well, I guess that's the, when you pull a lot of your science fiction from the early science fiction writers, you're, mm-hmm. you're bound to like, it's going to be a lot of stuff about, you know, indigenous people are scary and a lot of stuff about time travel. Right. Uh, and this, this covers both of those with the uh, Island at the top of the world and uh, mm-hmm. the time machine. And I guess yeah. it's HG Wells too, right? Yes, it is. Both of them. So yeah, I, it's weird to me to think, you know, cause we, we haven't really discussed that in the past, but these areas, let's say they were built would probably see revitalizations and changes over decades especially mm-hmm. with how old the attractions would have been. You know, it's still the seventies at this point. It's not necessarily where nowadays you could get away with leaving an attraction together because the technology is just so old. Right. And that, that is the interesting thing. Again, like if what if the Highland of the top of the world was made to simulate our attraction, it would be horribly hokey even right. by the two thousands. You'd be pre star tours standards. Of yeah, simulation. exactly. Or if it's a dark ride, I mean, just, that description of that dark ride, I just don't know how they pull it off in that time. Yeah, it almost it, – because it, it would be structured similar to something like – well, like Universe of Energy where it's a massive theater, you know, whatever the size of your theater boxes that you're getting in with all these people traveling through these show scenes. Mm-hmm. I guess you could use some kind of a balance of screens and dark ride like Universe of Energy did. Perhaps like when they go into that big room – with all of the the big uh, the really really nice matte painting in the movie yeah. of the ritual room um, that would expand into a dark into a um, a big area a big mm-hmm. actual show scene and then before that it would be some screens or something like that right but no matter what they did in the seventies it would no way live to today in technical quality it would be so embarrassingly dated exactly. And, and that's the thing. I think that the land would have looked gorgeous, but the attractions might have not been so up to snuff. And I think what appeals to it by a lot of people thinking about these things are just how many attractions there are and the possibilities. And the very fact that, oh my gosh, we could have gotten all of this. Right. But you really have to, again, think about what this is. What is this? Like, I think that the Professor Marvel's a show sounds neat, but would I rather have that or Journey into Imagination? I think I would pick Journey into Imagination, to be honest. Mm-hmm. If, uh, the, the fireworks factor is one of the ones that I really would love to see, uh, especially if they became like a dark ride. That would have been really cool. But I really love the idea of putting a spin on the old-fashioned shooting gallery. Mm-hmm. It's, it just sounds like a really fun idea. The Voyage Through Time or Lost River Rapids, there's just not enough for me to really go on there. Just sounds pretty much like we got with Dinosaur, Jurassic Park, the ride and stuff like that. And the time machine sounds dreadfully dull. Uh, the Island at the Top of the World ride is a neat idea if it wasn't based on a such a incredibly dull property what really sticks with me on this land is the visuals of what this land looked like and that's not a good thing Mm -hmm. no that's that's very true no Mm -hmm. because when you get that immediately striking visual right that's amazing you get that big the big momentary experience of like wow this is amazing and then you're like what's next Mm -hmm. and nothing comes next and you know the attractions as good as they are I'm looking at a map of Tokyo Disney Sea, and it's like you have the Discovery area, right? But to make a full park, 
you, you need to expand in completely different directions. Yeah. You know, that you need to offer something that's much more diverse than simply just this area. And that's one thing that is a little concerning is that honestly, I didn't think about this before, but when you think about uh, it's very similar to galaxy's edge where you get that momentary, mm-hmm. like, wow, this is a marketplace, but what's going to happen in 15 years. Like I've already mm-hmm. been to the Batu marketplace. So unless you expand it into another thing, you can't really like there's no there would be no way to Tomorrowland 94 Discovery Bay. It's already too big and mm-hmm. too too experimental. Yeah. It's too specific. So if you the only way to completely change the theme would be to add another land pretty much or change the attractions. Or change the attractions completely, right? Mm-hmm. But even something like let's say let's say Batu is around for 15 years, we've all been. Like cuz I've I've been to Batu four times maybe mm-hmm. and it's it's starting to get to the point where it's like i like batu a lot but i've seen this before the the shine is kind of wearing off a bit and it's still cool like i'm not somebody who's saying it should have been tattooing actually that might have been worse um <laughs> but i've done it well because i've already seen that in the movie like i'd be bored already but I, I, i've been i've explored the places i got the lightsaber i did the food but yada yada could yada. have taken and made a casino even though it doesn't make any sense with a well, yeah or a- right yeah, it could have been a it could have been a Coruscant casino there that everyone wanted in this <laughs> rundown marketplace. How would it? But how would the like? I'm sorry, but with the we keep going back to the book of Boba Fett. But <laughs> I why, haven't seen why, it. How would a casino work in a theme park? <laughs> this should be gambling, damn it! <laughs> I'm sorry, it just uh, drives me mad. Maybe on this stupid Star Cruiser. I don't know. Go Here's on. what it is. Every $1 gets you 90 galactic credits. <laughs> and if you use the data pad. <laughs> yeah, right. So I, I but I, so but in, in regards to Galaxy's Edge, you know, it's we're already realizing the point where it's like, okay, well, what's next? And it seems like the only way to make Galaxy's Edge live for the next 15 years would be to add more to Galaxy's Edge or add like an mm-hmm. expansion. Because even if you close, let's say, I mean, God forbid. You know, they they close Rise of the Resistance. I don't think that they can handle that. It's 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 yet to be open for a full day. So. <laughs> right. But God forbid they close Galaxy's Edge and Millennium Falcon and say it's time for new attractions, right? And I revisit mm-hmm. the area. Those attractions can be neat, but the area is gonna be identical. Right. right. So so that's one thing that Discovery Bay is would definitely have a big problem with is that if it came time to revitalize the new gate, because especially if they made it a new gate, they would just have to keep adding lands and eventually it would just be, you know, Tokyo Disney Sea. But I don't necessarily know if this would have. It seems like they would have written themselves into a corner. Like, how do you add on to dis? Or uh, let me rephrase: How do you redo Discovery Bay in ten years if you've already built it? That is the question that's really hard to answer because, again, I don't think you do. You just right. replace the attractions and, like, let's be honest: like, look at Rise of the Resistance. Compare that with Island at the Top of the World. Which traction would you rather see more? I would totally want to do Rise of the Resistance more. I'm sorry if that sounds like a weird hot take because, <laughs> well, I mean, in the top of the world, it could have had a lot of amazing show pieces, but it's boring. And read that description. It's kind of boring. Yeah, it, it really is. And if the orcas looked as good as they did in the movie, it'd be pretty embarrassing. <laughs> Why well, when they shot the orcas? The orcas flew in the air. Oh my gosh, you are going <laughs> to ruin the surprise. <laughs> no, I've got a lot more to say. That's the point. This is a, it's a teaser. It's a teaser. Yeah, it's a teaser. Um, no, I, I think I, I, I follow what you're saying about 
this versus the Galaxy's Edge versus Rise of the Resistance uh, as an attraction. Mm-hmm. I guess you could just like start replacing things and being like, well, you know, we're going to close the little coaster and on this we're going to put like a new and advanced dark ride or something like that That would be the best thing you could do what is amazing though is the fact that discovery bay we got it because all these ideas shot to the wind Mm -hmm. and imagineers just kept doing them and just utilizing them in fact i didn't even mention this the spark gap coaster was supposed to go to discovery land and discovery and disneyland paris Hmm. they were going to build it there but it never got built, so it's still an unbuilt attraction. But they were going to build it there. They still wanted to build that thing. And the time machine, think about that. A ro- uh, a circle theater where you sit, you, you're you standing or sitting, and you watch a time machine pr- uh, presentation in the round. That got built. It's called the timekeeper from time to time. <laughs> boring get out oh no <laughs> no we are not we are not hearing timekeeper slandered how dare you have you, to it's closed it's <laughs> this is not there anymore i hope you had your eyes checked but seriously um, do you hate the timekeeper i i feel ambivalent to the timekeeper because i was born in 2000 <laughs> I don't, I robin don't. williams sir robin williams ray of perlman it's a classic. Robin Williams was in Old Dog. Listen, Blinky! I don't need to love everything he's oh ever my done. God. Miserable little piece of metal. Yeah, Unless you I also mean, liked Old Dogs. <laughs> okay. you, have you seen the video of uh, Timekeeper? I have. I mean, I've seen, yeah, I've seen. I, the, the problem is when you watch videos, it's never really as, mm-hmm. you know, as powerful. Oh, I, I, I love, love it. It's, it's funny. It's, it's energetic. It's well shot. Uh, I think it's brilliant. I, I do love the Timekeeper. I don't. I don't feel anything for it, but I don't feel <laughs> negative for it. To be clear, like, I don't feel positive for it. <laughs> At least you have to love the the score by Bruce Broughton. It's so everything well Bruce Broughton does is the, yeah. the best. Mm-hmm. They got rid of his score at the land and Epcot. Oh, <laughs> but anyway, also the score of like Field of Dreams. <laughs> There's. I, I think I the 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 parting thoughts on on Discovery Bay right is that if you want to see like the best parts of Discovery Bay like they exist in the world today, mm-hmm. and I don't think they would have existed without this being canceled. Like I don't think Tony Baxter would have went to Paris with as big of an uh, ambition. Yeah, had Discovery Bay not been canceled, I don't think Tokyo Disney Sea would have had as much to go off of what? if Discovery Bay hadn't been canceled. That's 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 the greatest question about this. What if? Because mm-hmm. so many things came out of this. If this never got, if this got built, we wouldn't have gotten so much of it. Right. It might have been worse because you might have like written yourself into a corner here and you couldn't do anything about yeah, it. Yeah. And they were able to refine and touch up things and make it better. We got Dinosaur. We got, well, it used to be Countdown to Extinction. We got the Universe of Energy. We got. Uh, Timekeeper, we got Journey into Imagination. We didn't get the island of the top of the world, and that might be a good thing. Yes, we didn't get this beautiful <laughs> looking land with its incredible crystallized uh, structure, botanical garden, and technically the fireworks factory shooting gallery. But I mean, it's kind of not worth it. I think it's gorgeous. And, and I know this is, this is a strangely hot take on what some consider the greatest unbuilt attraction in Disney history. I mean, this is what people consider that. 
And yes, it's two people's tastes of old classic Disney. It, it fits their palettes more. But again, this, this podcast is all about thinking about the what ifs and looking at it and looking at a hard reality of it. And when you look at it, it doesn't stand up to to muster. It, it just it doesn't. Mm. No, I 100 percent. And so with that said, we have to ask, build it or not? Do you want to build it or not? I, I OK, I have I'm looking for the right words, because if I start with the sentence I'm thinking in my head, I think it will invalidate everything I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> You know, you always hear about, like, should you go back in time and kill Hitler, right? (laughs) (laughs) We are are comparing Discovery Bay to the murder of baby Hitler right now. I just want to clarify that (laughs) for the audience. Well, because if you kill baby... Well, all right, all right, all right. Assuming you could, and I've taken Mm -hmm. entire classes on if you could. The answer is you can't, but if you could... (laughs) question is like what would you would you create like a world worse off uh than than initially and and this is to say that if you went back and you did discovery bay i think a lot of the uh, discovery bay was too ambitious for its own limits 20 acres might not have been nearly enough for discovery bay and you can see by the fact that it has been spread across the globe in its ideas in various (laughs) places it was like it was really what it was was it was a bunch of really talented designers coming together putting a bunch of their ideas into a little spot and then using them. Right. It's like, an, it's almost like an imaginary mm-hmm. land. Yeah. It's, it's a, cause they, they, it was just a place. Discovery Bay was nothing if not like the metaphorical physical space for where these creators ideas live. And then they were all like taken across the globe. So if Discovery Bay was built, I think it would have seen significant problems in Disneyland. Mm-hmm. Especially, it couldn't be expanded as big as much as it should have been. Uh-huh. Um, the attractions would have been limited by the technology, and mm-hmm. I don't think we would have gotten some of the more amazing design feats that have graced the Disney parks worldwide. Which is where you reach the, I, in my opinion, obvious conclusion that uh, it's probably better off that it wasn't built in Disneyland because I, th- I think it would never have done the idea justice. Okay, I am going to agree with you. I never thought I would say these words. Like if you you, you told me <laughs> at the start of making this podcast and putting it together and going through all the ideas and going to pointing to Discovery Bay and saying, you're going to say you don't want that built. And I'd be like, are you absolutely out of your mind? But really, when you sit down and think about it and thought, I think about what we got because it wasn't built versus what we wouldn't have. I have to say, I don't think this should have been built. It would have been a, it would have been very beautiful to look at, wonderful to look at in areas. I think the details are incredible. It would have brought a completely different dynamic to Disneyland, which is fascinating. But at the same time, I just don't think these attractions are good enough and are mm-hmm. strong enough to warrant existing. And I, love the original journey into imagination i love the timekeeper there's so many things i love versus something i don't think i'd ever love which is the island at the top of the world attraction (laughs) i I don't think maybe it would have been good maybe it would have been really 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 cool maybe i don't know maybe it would have been a lame simulator attraction by the time they got done with it but i watched the movie and the movie stunk so 
Uh, no, I don't care. I just don't. I don't care. I don't think Discovery Bay should have been built. It's it's better off in our imaginations. And uh, I think that is that. God, how depressing of an ending to this episode. We're going to make a lot of enemies. Not necessarily. I think the fruits of Discovery Bay are so valuable that I think you no. Know, even if it was built, even if it was built in its perfect concept art. Mm-hmm. It not, would never have nearly been as good as what it created. Yeah, you're right. You know, I, it, to me, it just seems like a lot of, again, really talented people came together and just started pitching attractions. Mm-hmm. And it's not necessary that they have to all be in the same position next to each other. you right. know. And there's there's various experiences here that I think were probably done better in the future. right? Like the Nautilus restaurant, the idea of like an immersive-themed restaurant with like screens on the walls has been done recently. And like 10 times better just because technology evolves at the time and things become more immersive. You know, the, the ideas here are, are brilliant, but you think about the ones that were lost mm. and you think about the ones that stayed mm-hmm. and it just seems like the give and take is a no brainer. We got the best parts. We lost the limiting parts. Discovery Bay is, is really just, uh, was really just like the first litmus test that the Disney parks and WDI we're about to see like a new renaissance of designers. And I think that's probably how it should best sit as a, as a, 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 a depictor of, of that talent. Yeah. It's pretty much uh, a thought engine that would right. pretty much produce ideas for a generation. Exactly. Really. When you think about it and yes, I know there's also probably going to be a lot of queries about how, well, there's a lot of unintelligent use of space that, Discovery Bay got better off. And really, when you think about it, that I think Disney is slowly but surely realizing that and trying to use the space more. Yeah, I get it. It sucks that this Galaxy's Edge doesn't have that restaurant that they built the space for. I get it. But that doesn't automatically make Discovery Bay the better idea. And and that's that's the thing. You really have to sit down and think about it. It's it's better off as a as a thought at first and looking at a lot of pretty concept art but when you really sit down and think about it it just doesn't come all together uh i don't want to do that yeah i don't want to throw my you know what i don't want to do this uh (laughs) but i'm sorry i have to do it i have to put my my foot into the fire here galaxy's edge is probably the worst choice (laughs) because discovery bay fits the theme of disneyland I something clicked in my head and I heard what you, I was like, wait a minute, <laughs> I'm here to cause problems. The only thing I will say about the only thing I will say about Discovery Bay. You, you you looked at the time and you realized that we're at 85 minutes and you're like, that is not long enough. I, I just want to put my 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 toe in for a second. I stand by my conclusion. I stand by it. And I stand by the fact that Galaxy's Edge, I like Galaxy's Edge, but I will say that as an addition to Disneyland. I do sympathize a bit more with Discovery Bay. Okay. My only concern, my concern is actually the same with Discovery Bay as it is with Star Wars Galaxy's Edge is that after the, and I I mentioned it before, right? Is that after the initial, you know, shake, after you go see it and you have that amazing first time, then what? Is Mm -hmm. there room for, because in New Orleans Square, right? You can change restaurants, you can add attractions, remove them. In Tomorrowland, you can add attractions, remove it, right? There's these, 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 little areas are made to be built on and replaced. You know, what do you do with discovery Bay and galaxy's edge to an extent after Mm -hmm. that initial period? Now, that being said, these ideas would have been wasted on the poor technology. 
So it's a give and take. Discovery Bay would have been better for Disneyland, but it would have been worse for the ideas, right? Worse for the ideas. Yeah, they mm. would. They would never have come out better for I, Disneyland. I just, I don't know. It would have been. Oh come on. Better for Disneyland. Worse for everything else. And yeah, well, you I mean, kind of have to like balance that. If Star I Wars is my saying. other option, I get what you're saying. Yeah, but I'd rather have Star Wars because here's the thing: if it was like the 1970s and George, well, okay, if it was the 1980s <laughs> and George <laughs> Lucas was saying we're going to build Star Wars Land here or we're going to build Discovery Bay, I would have picked Discovery Bay. But okay. if your question is, you know, would you have the 1970s? Probably at this point, rather dated, and honestly, in the 90s, it would have been eaten alive by Disney. I think. Um, would I rather have that? Or like a new Star Wars land, I'd probably pick the Star Wars land. Probably pick the Star Wars land. Yeah, I mean, it's, it is tricky. And I, I know it's not exactly a black and white op- opinion. I'm sorry. Nuanced right. opinions rule here. Sorry, Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> and it you know, doesn't fit some people's tastes, you know, versus, you know, what's shining and new and what Tony Baxter designed in 1974. But that's the way we have to look at it today on this podcast. Uh, do you have anything else to say about Discovery Bay? I'm selling a really poor drawing of Discovery Bay on eBay. <laughs> Anybody? <laughs> I will say the concept art, all of it, is amazing. It is such gorgeous concept art. It makes you want the land so bad. But once again, you just kind of sit down and really think about it really got to think about it is this is all of this really worth it versus what we got out of it and you know these ideas maybe would have been refined further and better and they would have come up with something newer and maybe grander today you don't know that though they could have put the eternals in there Eternals, (laughs) of course it would just be uh just the grayest attraction ever uh, <laughs> we, we just discussed the black and white Mickey cartoon. How could you? Mm. How could you, you know, it's funny. Uh, speaking about that, I I found another proposal for that, suggesting they would turn it into a wild mouse coaster as well. So that that would have been interesting. interesting. Also, we failed to mention the balloon rides that would have taken you from Circus Land to the heart of Discovery Bay. How did it do that? It would have been basically another sky lo- skyway. Oh, uh, that makes mm-hmm. sense. But right. this one was uh, just like just like that stupid train ride in Universal that costs like $100 to go on. <laughs> <laughs> I get that park hopper for the, 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 the balloons. I don't know if it would have cost that much money, but well, I mean, how, at least well, well, at least, park hopper, at the, right? At the very least, you would have escaped from the clown restaurant. I, I, I think that that... We should bring that back. I think that's what Discovery Bay was missing. Clowns? Whichever, if Discovery Bay or uh, Star Wars can do the clown restaurant first. <laughs> Actually, Star Wars just has to do a restaurant. That's just a I'll restaurant. Just yeah, I'll a lower restaurant. it for them. Somewhere mm-hmm. to buy food. That's right. <laughs> so, and Dorian Yip Nips is, was not, it's not. So Ronto Roasters isn't enough. Ronto Roasters is enough. It's not Star Wars Bay's Clowns. That's right. Start. That's just the fan base. Yes. <laughs> that's <laughs> all they need is the restaurant will just be full of angry Star Wars fans. That's right. 
<laughs> complaining about how this isn't accurate to what they it. hold the ideals for. Mm-hmm. Loop right back around to those bikes. Right. <laughs> Put them outside there. And they just <laughs> complain about it. That's you sit down, you get your meal, and they just go, this isn't Star Wars. Nothing about this represents the Star Wars that I know and George <laughs> Lucas created in 1977. I like how it gets younger and younger. Your, your voice yeah. keeps getting younger. <laughs> and they you just they, sit there and diapers. watch that. You watch the anger troll go off on that. And you're like, well, this is not very entertaining, but I mean, at least it is some entertainment and I don't have to pay $5,000 for it. So that's good. Well, as they can go to the 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 Galactic Cruiser because that looks really boring. <laughs> hey, it isn't open yet. Uh, yeah, but all oh, you haven't seen the videos. All the people. Oh, I've seen the videos. Their, they're all returning their stuff. Yeah. Their, their their reservations. Star Wars is over. <laughs> Kathleen Kennedy ruined it. Yeah. <laughs> That's enough. That's enough of that. That's too serious. Okay, I think that's good enough. Wow, we only we we only did like a a good ninety minutes. We didn't go over our uh, our Epcot episode, so it's not not bad, not bad at all. Even though we are going to make enemies by saying we we think that Star Wars Galaxies that should have been built over Discovery Bay. Uh, Well, 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 I don't know. Maybe they would have turned off the podcast by now. They probably didn't get that far. They, yeah. they, they heard us bashing their favorite movie, yeah. Island at the Top, the top of, the of the World. That's the, the crazy thing is that these the Disney hyper fans that'll tell you all about how Disneyland was better in the 70s have this reverence for the most boring movies. <laughs> that Robert they Stevenson turn out- is their number one director. <laughs> then they shouldn't have turned into next week's episode. Uh-oh. <laughs> okay, so... <laughs> Just that's a tease for next week. We will be <laughs> having a special episode uh, reviewing Island at the top of the world. All right. Uh, so, yes. So in the meantime, please follow us on social media on Twitter at Unbuilt Pod. You can reach me at Open Mother's Mail and Ryan Dorman at Open the Dorman. Feel free to email us at unbuiltpod at gmail.com and rate us on Stitcher, iTunes, and Anchor or wherever you find this podcast. Please write a review, send all of the angry fan mail to us uh, and tell us how we're doing. And if you don't like us uh, bashing Star Wars, Discovery Bay, and what have you, uh, thank you for listening to Comedy Bang Bang. I'm Scott Ackerman. Have a great day, everyone. See you guys.
Well, time flies, and now I'm going to go browse through the library at Alexandria. Check up on Columbus before he got to Ohio. Give Freud a piece of my mind and say, Oedipus, Oedipus.